Welcome back, Warriors. Tanse Sego Anibuju. Kwe Nindaluizi Pam Palmeter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, but at the same time, revitalizing our cultures, traditions, and practices. It's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And today we are so lucky to have with us a Mohawk warrior who has impacted the lives of so many Native warriors all over Turtle Island. And his name is Dr. Taegi Alfred. Dr. Alfred was in the U.S. Marine Corps. He has his bachelor's degree from Concordia and both his master's and PhD degrees from Cornell University. And of course, he's been advising First Nations on land and governance issues for literally decades. And for my part, I have to admit that I have read all of his books, watched most of his public lectures, and read his journal articles um, because I'm such a huge fan. And you know, for my own doctoral work and the research that I do, his three books, Heeding the Voices of Our Ancestors, Peace, Power, and Righteousness, and Wasaze, Indigenous Pathways of Action and Freedom, have had a real impact on me. Welcome to my show, Ty. Thank you for that introduction. Awesome. Well, I like I said, I'm a huge fan of your work and I've always used your writings as like a guidepost to make sure that I'm on the right path when it comes to things like native sovereignty, independence, nationhood, protecting our territories and that kind of uh, thing. So maybe you could introduce yourself to our listeners and we have listeners like all over Canada and the U.S. Um, in the way that you like to introduce yourself the most, where you're from and all that. All right. Well, thanks again for the introduction and, and your good words, Pam. It's an honor to be on your show and uh, so good to hear about the impact of my work uh, in your life and, and your work. And uh, I really appreciate you saying those things and it means a lot to me. Thank you. Uh, I'm a Mohawk from Ganawage and uh, I, I was born and raised in Ganawage Mohawk territory and uh, I... I really root myself in that identity and uh, the culture and the ideas that, that make up what it is to be a Mohawk Ganawage. And uh, the way I see my, my work and my career, uh, it's always been an effort on my part to represent what that means to the best of my ability, the best that I understand it, and taking making the best use of the talents that I've been given by the creator to go out into the world and live out uh, what it is to be uh, a Mohawk person, a native person, and uh, to bring the message that our people were given and the lessons that our people have learned about how to survive in this world of colonialism and how to bring the fight of, uh, of our people to the ones that are oppressing us and the situations that are oppressing us and to help clarify uh, Native people's minds about what's going on and what they need to do and what the, what the strategies are and what the ideas are that they could bring into effect in their lives and their personal lives and the lives of their nations in order to make sure that they're still 
indigenous nations in the future and it's not guaranteed you know that's what we were always taught it's it's not guaranteed we have to fight for our survival and we have to do the things culturally spiritually physically and politically to make sure that the generations that are coming up uh out of the earth understand what it is to be and that they have the chance to live out that life and so if i think about my career whether it's uh whether it's in writing and academics and politics uh community organizing different movements that's that's what it's been all about for me and uh looking back over 32 years in in this uh movement in this business so to speak uh um there's a lot to reflect on and there's a lot of lessons learned and uh, I really appreciate the chance here to to get to talk to talk to that with you. No, I'm 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 so glad. I feel really fortunate because I have the ability now through social media to share, you know, the people I've learned from with the next generations that are coming up because this next generation seems really hungry to know more to do more and to really resist this ongoing oppression. And I really like what you said. Um, sometimes I think we take for granted that because, oh, the government has issued a statement saying they recognize our rights or there's a new human rights instrument or something that people think, okay, well, we're good. We don't have to worry about that anymore. But in fact, it's it's always been about us fighting for it and then fighting to keep whatever it is that we do establish. And I'm wondering, like, you know, if you can talk a little bit about, you know, what this fight involves, because if you listen to government and I mean, that's Canadians education source, government and media, everything's getting better. You know, uh, every everyone focuses on jobs and and education and uh, social integration into the Canadian public and that that is so the so-called goal for Native people. And I'm wondering if you can talk about this fight and what's really at the root of it. Like, what are we missing in the national dialogue? Well, I think the, the problem that we're facing now is one that um, our people have faced all along but is really coming to the fore now and is uh, is more of a challenge than ever which is to preserve our basic connection to our homelands uh in order to remain who we are as collectivities and so i think an easy way to understand it for people who haven't been uh thinking about it or involved that long is uh we're at a we're at a place in history now where governments have realized that after all their efforts that it's very difficult to eliminate a race of people um, and to, to wipe out the whole notion of, of nations that have pre-existed them for, for tens of thousands of years and that have such a long history in this land and this culture and have cultures and, and, and basically a love for their own existence. It's very difficult to do that outright. And so they're trying a different strategy now. And the strategy is assimilation and integration. And so they're, they're not coming at the effort to eliminate our collective existence in a blunt way in the, as they have in the past. They're, they're actually enticing us to eliminate ourselves. And so they're offering us the advantages as they see it, the benefits uh, as they're described, and the enticements of 
the comfort of an existence which doesn't involve constant battle and constant struggle and which shares some of the material wealth of the conquest of our nations with our with ourselves and in itself of course if you stop there that's not a bad thing um we we deserve to have uh the wealth of our land um impact our lives in positive ways but the problem that we're facing today is that there's a big there's a there's a string attached to that which is that in order to access these things, these benefits, uh, these good things, we have to agree to surrender the fundamentals about who we are as a collectivity, which is our presence in this land as autonomous nations of people, our ancestral ties to this land, our sovereignty, our governance, our autonomy, and basically our nationhood. All the things you talk about all the time, Pam, all the things you write about, these are these are the things that our ancestors fought for. And these are the things that really make us Ongwehoe or indigenous people. It's not it's not the fact that we have a nice car. It's not mm -hmm. the fact that we have a job that pays the bills. It's not the fact that we have e equal access to health care and drinking water and all that stuff as other people in this land. Those are things that everybody should have. But the thing that makes us native is the fact that we have this special connection and we have control over our own territory and we are the ones as indigenous people, as Ungwehue, whose culture governs the way that this land is used, which is to say the relationship between human beings and the natural environment on this continent. And that's what they're trying to break and that's what they're trying to take away. And, and, and they've always done that and right now, the strategy at play is to get us to believe that we're not special, that we're just like everyone else. And that that thing that is that special connection to our territory, to our land, the special responsibilities we have to make sure that our culture and our ideas and our ethics govern the relation between humans and the natural environment um, are not the ones that human beings are living by and even ourselves, that we give up on that. And we start to embrace the ideas that the Europeans brought over here in order to create material wealth. And that we, we embrace that as, as the thing that defines a good human life. And that's simply not possible in the indigenous values framework. Yeah, well, and, and that's, you know, what I really appreciate about your writing. You know, you make it very clear that this isn't a choice between abject poverty and suffering or Native independence, that we are entitled to all of the wealth that we always had before, and we're entitled to the good life as we choose it. But what makes us Native is that we're also autonomous, sovereign nations, peoples, and we're connected to the land and it's our territory. And, you know, we should be the ones governing this territory. And I think it's putting those two things together because what really concerns me is, and I'm, you know, going to bring up a political topic, is the Assembly of First Nations who, you know, started out as the National Indian Brotherhood in a, in a good way as a form of resistance, but has now morphed into probably the biggest voice box for uh, Canadian governments. And the motto seems to be, 
you know, close the gap, make us like Canadians, close the gap, welcome us into your economy, close. The, it's always about closing the gap to make us like Canadians and mm. very little talk about land and sovereignty. Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, we're kind of caught in this trap where it seems like Indigenous people, and um, I mean, you used the example of the AFN, and I think that to a certain extent, just to be to be completely blunt, I think that they are reflecting the the feeling, unfortunately, among a lot of our people, that it's not worth fighting for anymore. You know, mm -hmm. like we 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 all want economic development, so to speak. Everybody wants a comfortable life where mm -hmm. they can feed their kids and and go on vacation and all that kind of stuff. That's that's a modern type of existence that we all deserve. But I guess the the criticism that I have and that I agree with you on is that if that comes at the expense of our nationhood and if that comes at the expense of the furthering, the surrender of the very thing that makes us Ungwehunwe, uh, then I think we need to fight and we need to fight legally, politically, and as our nations have shown even physically to defend those very things. And so it seems like people have lost sight of the compromises and the, the nature of the compromises that are being made and the eventual impact of those compromises on our continuing existence. And um, that that is clearly uh, a facet of our political life today where this uh, this effort to close the gap, so to speak, is uh, coming at the expense of the foundation of who we are as a people. And so, I'm all for closing the gap. But mm -hmm. if the Canadian if the Canadian government was coming at that question uh, with a good heart and a good mind and saying, let's close the gap and let's also respect the fact that you that you're a nation of people. Who pre-existed us and we want to have a nation-to-nation -nation relationship founded on respect that's great we, we we could we could be into that kind of a process with integrity but if they're coming at it and saying let's close the gap but only if you surrender who you are fundamentally and become a canadian uh no i i don't agree with that and i know there's a lot of indigenous people who don't agree with that either and i think you're right to point out i know you're right sorry to point out that uh, there's a younger generation coming up that see the flaw in that logic and are craving something more uh, authentic uh, and rooted in the ancestral vision as far as our movement goes. Yeah, and, and I mean, you've got, you know, all of these young kids who, you know, ha saw Idol No More, you know, they saw our resistance across the land in various ways. You see this, you know, mounting... Trans Mountain Pipeline resistance that's happening, and you you also see you know sort of a new development. I mean, we've always had individual First Nations here and there, individuals who have you know um, supported the federal government or provincial governments for whatever reasons. I mean, we have to admit, that, like we are all a colonized people, and dealing with oppression is very difficult. And sometimes you're making very very difficult choices between two difficult scenarios <clears throat> however there are sometimes um you know changes like colonization has such an impact on us over time that you know even with the trans mountain pipeline i think if this was 20 years ago you would have seen 
you know, or even 30 years ago, you would have seen more of a unanimous position against this pipeline in support of the, you know, the very sovereign nations that live in the territory who will be impacted. Whereas now you kind of see this development where, you know, there are some um, First Nations outside of that area who are now, well, let's, let's make this a, you know, let's make this a business, let's put in a proposal and totally counter the First Nations on the ground who are saying, hey, wait, but we don't want this and we don't care if it's the Canadian government imposing it or First Nations imposing it. It's our territory. And I'm and like, I'm wondering what you think about, you know, these kind of developments. I mean, there's, it's really complex. It's really difficult. This is how colonization works. I understand all of that. But when when governments try to use First Nations to essentially silence the voice of impacted First Nations. Yeah, it's um, it's a refinement actually in the age-old strategy of divide and rule. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've we've been facing this from uh, from the beginning, mm-hmm. and that the sort of uh, playing off one against the other. But I think that what's happened in recent years is that the government, the federal governments, and provincial governments have have really uh, hit upon uh, an effective development of their strategy of divide and rule, which is which really in my mind, and I may be wrong on this, but seem to emerge in the whole set of debates around self-government and the imposition of policies on taxation and so forth, where they identified, uh, in quotes, champions. Mm-hmm. So they identified certain indigenous leaders and people within communities who, who in one, on one hand, represented truly uh, indigenous people, but on the other hand, had either been convinced or enticed or in their own mind came to the conclusion that the assimilative pathway was the best thing for indigenous peoples, uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt. So, mm-hmm. so they identified these people as champions and it started with the taxation and it mm-hmm. started with the land management regime. And I think that they found it to be so effective in countering uh, opposition in legal terms and political terms and, and in media terms uh, and, and swaying over the Canadian public, which is really the only one that matters for the Canadian government, um, and swaying over the Canadian public and saying that there are Indigenous leaders who support this and that there's a rationale behind their decision, that they're using it to much greater effect now on, on much higher stakes uh, issues like the pipeline. It's, it's a general phenomenon in my mind, <clears throat> and, it's, and it's, it's their newest kind of uh, turn and strategy and it's happening in politics and academia and Mm -hmm. and law and and everywhere and and the sort of divide and rule and identifying people who are amenable to the government agenda and 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 demonizing or marginalizing everyone else who who happen to have a more rooted problematic from the government's perspective position is working quite effectively in their mind and I, i think we just need to recognize it for what it is and and recognize that the people who are behind the positivity and supporting government agendas um, and plans and visions and reconciliation frameworks and so forth are all going to be supported financially, legally, and when it comes down to it with the physical force of the state against truly rooted indigenous perspectives. Yeah, so that I mean, you're raising one of the things that concern me the most. So, you know, there's always that slogan, you know, the the revolution won't be funded or or whatever it is. And we know as Native people, 
um, any advances we've ever made, any defense of our territories or our rights that we've ever made has always come on the backs of our sacrifices. I mean, from, you know, very earliest forms of resistance, it, we, we didn't have bands of lawyers and we didn't have tons of money and we didn't have major PR campaigns. And even Idle No More was just an organic growth of grassroots indigenous resistance that wasn't uh, particularly funded. But now it, it's, although it's under the same kind of divide and conquer and, you know, we, we face the same kinds of oppression and challenges, they just adapt, you know, to, to new forms. We have a scenario where, you know, divide and conquer will in fact be funded. And we've got a, you know, this scenario, especially in Alberta, where you have the Alberta government willing to just spend millions of dollars on lawyers and defense funds and uh, law enforcement and PR to give the voice to those particular indigenous leaders who have, for whatever reason, decided to support the government agenda. Whereas we know what's facing the indigenous resistors on the ground. It's it's going to be having to face law enforcement. It's gonna, you know, it's going to involve, you know, trying to to fund ourselves and support ourselves in in many different ways. And what I what I like most about some of the things that you've <clears throat> you've talked about in public lectures and academic lectures. And I know one time I went out to BC to be part of kind of like a warrior resistance training camp for for some of your students um is that you still even though we have to be honest about how how these challenges are very significant and we can't ignore them you are also very positive with a plan you were saying but our ancestors did it that's the job that we've inherited and here's some things we can do going forward. And you talked about, you know, this kind of circle. I don't remember it in great detail, but it was like a, a circle where it's not just the warriors on the ground that are doing the work, but there's all the things that are encircling them that provide support and feed to that. Because we all have our own skills and we all take part in resistance in different ways, but it's kind of making sure that we're all together wrapping our arms around each other, doing support in different ways. And I'm just wondering if you could talk about that a little bit, because I found that so inspiring. Oh, well, thanks. And uh, that was a good memory you just invoked there. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the circle idea comes from, uh, it's something I used to use when, uh, when I was teaching and, and in a lot of the speaking that I do in the communities about the idea of where do we stand in relation to the struggle of our ancestors. And it was kind of in response to um, the feeling that I heard from uh, a lot of people who were getting involved in the struggle. This was like in the in the 2000s, that because of the fact that they were born outside of their community or they were, they were adopted out or they were in foster care or they just grew up in an Indigenous family that wasn't cultured in an Indigenous way for for mm -hmm. various reasons you know they kind of felt like they were outside of the circle you hear that you used to hear that a lot eh? uh, you're outside the circle so i mean i talked to some people here in in Gunwage and somebody gave me a story uh which i believe is a really profound teaching now looking back on it about uh the the fire of our ancestors 
and th there was a whole metaphor developed about what constitutes uh, our nationhood and our existence as people. And it works in Mohawk particularly because of the word Gawadzure, uh, it's like fire, but it's also our family. Does the roots the same? And uh, and it's it's the whole idea is that colonialism broke through the original ring of protectors that allowed our fire to be strong and to continue. And all those forces of racism, the capitalism, the misogyny, all that kind of stuff broke through and, and, and weakened us by, by really taking away the, the ability of that fire to, to sustain itself and to continue to be strong. And, and, and so the effort, as I, as I was talking about it, the, the effort that we're, we're part of now is rebuilding that fire that's where this idea of resurgence comes from you know rebuilding the fire so you're gathering the embers again you're you're picking up all those pieces of, of wood that used to be burning like and metaphorically our language our ceremonies our history our our governance all those kind of things and you're you're putting them back inside the circle and you're, you're reconstituting that circle and that's what traditional governance is it's it's our clan mothers and our chiefs and our laws and our our traditions re reconstituting, holding, linking arms together again, and and protecting that fire. But the the thing that I added to it is that you know it's not 1700, and it's not even 1800 or 1900 where that's enough, because even if we reconstitute that fire, it was broken once by colonialism, and it will likely be broken again. Uh, talking about now even if we do have our language revitalization and restore our traditional governments and teach our kids our history all those forces that that almost destroyed our nations uh earlier on are still there and if anything they're stronger than ever and so what we need is another circle around that one and you know when i wrote the book with saze and, and was talking about it that's that's what i was talking about and we kind of used to laugh a little bit because it was this this phrase the wasaze zone <laughs> around the fire just to laugh just to laugh a little bit but it's kind of it's kind of the thing that i'm thinking about where you need a new circle of protectors around our nationhood and that's where all these people who um are otherwise thinking of themselves as outside the circle exist so it's truder outside the circle so if you're if you're a mohawk born in vancouver or if you're a Cree born in Montreal, you're not directly living in the territory of your people. If you're like me and then wasn't taught Mohawk, you're you're missing something, you mm -hmm. know. And so you could go down the line with all of these things that supposedly take us outside the circle. But in this new way of thinking about it, there's a there's a wider circle where we're all part of it. And the strength the strength of our existence is actually something that we might think of as a weakness. So if we're born outside, we know that system better than people who are born inside. We have more experience with it. We speak English very well. We go to white schools. We, we know the enemy, so to speak. Yep. And so there's a utility for us. There's a usefulness for us. And the real problem is and has been that all of the people in that zone don't have anyone to be accountable to in that struggle 
to restore the fire of our nations. And that's what that's what resurgence addressed. It looks at it and says, all of these people living out there should be warriors for our nations. And we need to create pathways for them home, so to speak, home in terms of knowing who they are, get welcomed back ceremonially, ritually, identity wise, and to create a, an accountability structure where in doing the work that we do outside of the, the, the first circle of our nations, outside of the, the intimate space of our nations, when we're out here in white society and white institutions battling for our people and our ancestors and the generations to come, that we answer to our own ancestors, our own ancestral ways and to the people that live here in our communities. And that's, that's what we have to recreate. That's indigenous governance in the 21st century. And if we do that, we've just expanded the circle of our warriors and our nations exponentially. And we've also given the people who live outside uh, the comfort and security and, and the strength of a community that's not a community of white or immigrant peoples, which we all are forced to adopt when we live outside. And so the basic question is, do you answer to your ancestors and, and the culture and the traditions of your people? Or do you answer to your employer who happens to be a white university, a white institution, a white government, or all of your friends out there who, who are not indigenous? And so <clears throat> these, are, these are really fundamental things in conceptualizing who we are in terms of our identity. And, and it's really, I think, important for us to think about this as a framework for for framing our movement and i think that the government of canada understands this very very well they probably watched these youtube videos and read my stuff too yeah and and understand that that there's there's something to this and that what i was talking about is actually indigenous wisdom passed down not only through me but in a lot of different communities and in a lot of different ways and that they need to disrupt that they need to keep that connection from being made and they need to work in very serious and brutal ways to make sure that those of us that are supposedly outside of that circle remain there and that there's no unity um, and that people answer to outside ideas, white concepts, European ideas, capitalism, racism, patriarchy, all this stuff that they answer to that more than to our ancestral teachings and that all of us who are caught up in colonization and reflect all of those things in our lives, which we all do at some point and in various ways, don't find our way back to the circle that is the foundation of our nations and, and recover who we are and, and become part of that community and become a warrior for the, uh, the matriarchies that are the foundation of our nations as, as instead of warriors for some other cause that comes from Europe. Well, and, and that's, um, I think that that message it really inspired me. I mean, because we, you know, as academics or, you know, people that work with First Nations, you know, we, we, learn, we learn from the people that we work with. We learn from other people. We do research. And sometimes, you know, we think, oh, okay, well, this is the answer. But then there's these, you know, 
uh, light bulb moments and and when you were talking about this circle and specifically the circle of of those people who were born outside through no fault of their own that colonization has made us think that we're all at fault if we don't know our language or if we don't you know live in our our home reserve or if we you know don't know the ceremonies like it's it's all of it's all all fault and in that that guilt carries you know this idea that well we can't connect because we're somehow not authentic and there's nothing that we can do and you know for years and years and years I've had native students come to me and say you know I want to be part of the resistance I I know it's important but you know, I, I was raised in foster care. I was taken away from my parents. I don't know my parents. I don't know my family. And I, I don't feel like I belong in that area. And I think you, you're tapping into, you know, the people who have been most impacted by colonization and oppression and forced out of our circle. And you know, saying that there, there's a place for you and that you you actually have things that you you can offer to this resistance. You know, knowing the language or knowing the colonial laws or knowing the enemy in a way of, you know, how can we how can we resist them in multiple forms? And I think that's that's what's really inspiring to me because then then it's all of us. We're not just talking about a smaller number of people. We've now, you know, held our arms around our whole family which is much bigger than we've always looked at and there's lots of people that we need to bring home like I think about all of the people that are languishing in prison or you know some of the kids that are living on the streets and feel like they have no purpose and they're so disconnected well your message really is a message of you you already are connected by virtue of who you are and you don't need any other qualification and you can kind of join this circle and share what you know and we can share what we know and and be welcomed back and i and i just really 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 like this concept of being welcomed back ceremonially because so many people feel so disconnected and i think that's the government's best weapon that they they know that you know this dynamic exists because they created it and if they can continue to foster divisions and you know continue to make our people feel bad internally and continue to create conditions such that we take it out on ourselves. We hurt ourselves, we hurt our family members, or, you know, we engage in, in, in um, you know, some of the worst kinds of harm where, you know, there's high rates of suicide. And all of this is about disconnecting us from ourselves and our people. And I really, really appreciate that message because I know the majority of people that are listening to this are all these people that are in that circle who want to learn more and and be part of it and I think it's it's incumbent upon the rest of us to make sure that everybody's inspired and see that there's a different way that it's not just about having a job and a car that in fact we're fighting for so much more for our for our ancestors and and uh, I, I really appreciate that. And I think the people listening will appreciate that hearing it come from you because you, you know, you're you're part of Ganawage and you've always been a leader in, you know, Indigenous academics and resistance. And there are, you know, lots of young people who would say, well, where where do I fit in all of this? And you've just said where they all fit. So I really, really appreciate that. My my other question um, is because I, I know you've done some work 
in the southern part of Turtle Island in the States uh, with some of our um, brother and sister uh, tribal governments or indigenous governments in the U.S. And I'm just wondering, do you see, is is the same phenomenon playing out down there in the same way? Uh, and is this the kind of message that we should be, you know, sharing with our brothers and sisters in the southern part of Turtle Island? Or is this something that they've, you know, they're in the same mindset? Uh, that's a interesting question. Because, and it's one that I've thought about quite a bit because, yeah, I have done a lot of work uh, in the so-called uh, states too, southern part of our, our continent here. Uh, I... I find that the the problems are the same in terms of mm -hmm. the way people are the way people are feeling about this uh, basic issue of disconnection from the land and the the kind of alienation and the psychological and the psychophysical effects of that mm -hmm. on their lives. So there's physical impacts in terms of uh, diseases and physical afflictions that come from living an unhealthy existence and being disconnected from our ancestral ways and then there's the psychological as well which uh which affect us in terms of not living out our true vision of ourselves as to who we are that's unfortunately uh very common uh all across north america and in almost every native community you visit you recognize it and and to a certain extent it's a good thing in that oh, it feels like home everywhere you could go mm -hmm. but but the negative part of that is like we're all we're all in our homes dealing with the same problems. And I think that the way to resolve it, like the, the thing that we just talked about, which you beautifully reflected back at me, is um, I, I in my mind, it's the same answer. Like that's the mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. But the way to enact it and the way to bring it into to to life, the way to breathe life into it is different because there's there's different laws there's a different political system there's different constraints and there's different opportunities there's there's opportunities they have down there that we don't have here and there's challenges they have down there that we don't have here and and so legally it's a different environment and so the work that i do down in the states is um it's i guess the way to think about it is it's the same goal with the same uh, vision, but has to be adapted to the legal and political environment, which mm -hmm. is very, which is very different to the one in Canada. And so, uh, if you're going to do this kind of work down in the states, you have to learn that that um, way uh, of relating to governance and the laws and the policies and the kind of strategies uh, that you develop coming out of that are different than the ones that you use here. Yeah, I, I've noticed the same thing because um, I've done some work in in the so-called states um, and I was always struck, I guess, before I started working with some of the native governments down there, I just assumed they were in a better position because they have some degree of recognition of their sovereignty vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, the individual states and I just, I thought their issues would be different and then when I started working with them, it's it's literally all the same. It's just in a, like you said, a very different political context or legal context uh, and dynamic. But 
you know, the core concerns of communities and the core concerns of the people who are living away from communities are all the same about protecting our land and autonomy and, and our identity and for future generations. And, you know, I was really, really struck by that. And I'm, you know, in the some of the limited work that I've done with Indigenous peoples at the United Nations, I hear the same thing from um, Native Hawaiians and Samoans and Native people from New Zealand and Australia that, you know, on a more global level, they have some of the very same issues having suffered from colonization and they just have a different political and legal context. So I, I really like how your idea, you know, you can breathe life into that idea, your concept, this circle in regardless of what the context is, so long as we adapt for the context. And one of the things I, I think I, the other thing I got out of, you know, your writings and, you know, especially in your books, but in, you know, this warrior camp that we had, which I wish was everywhere all the time, was uh, this idea that there's a personal dynamic to sovereignty and autonomy and, and native identity. It's, you know, the collective is, you know, this, this primary, you know, sovereign idea, but that as individuals, we are also responsible and accountable to our ancestors for how we live our lives as individuals and not just necessarily in the fight for sovereignty and land, but how we take care of our own health and our own spirituality, or our own well-being. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that because that that whole idea was the concept for this podcast that we we also need to be acting as sovereign individuals too yeah i mean that's one thing that i i learned starting off on this whole idea of investigating warriorhood mm -hmm. uh it, it came basically in the beginning of the 2000s like i think i started in 2000 <clears throat> and did research and interviews and traveled all over the place talking to people about this idea of the warrior and that kind of evolved into the, the book Wasaze and uh, the one the one thing that was very very clear was that you can't <clears throat> you can't build uh, a strong movement on weak people that you can't we can't ever achieve the, the liberatory goals that we're trying to achieve uh, unless we're constantly working at strengthening ourselves as well. And so um, looking back at that book, um, uh, I'm still proud of that book because it, it mm -hmm. kind of um, anticipated a lot of the uh, issues and discussions and conflicts and challenges that, that came afterwards and even are, are happening today in terms of looking at our own individual colonization and I guess the, the the basic point on this is that we do have to be standing uh, honestly and authentically and looking at uh, where we uh, stand in relation to colonialism, how we embody uh, colonial behaviors and ideas and attitudes. And every single one of us, myself included, uh, do embody colonial ideas. And I think that the first step is in recognizing that and and then taking the steps necessary to try to understand and then change and transform ourselves using 
the teachings of our ancestors and the support of our communities to be able to embody more of our ancestral vision than the colonial teachings and experiences that we've all been shaped by. And, and I think that that acknowledgement is still hard for some people to come by and, and to arrive at because it's such a personal, intimate, mm-hmm. and um, very emotionally fraught process. You know, we, we barely survived. And then, and then we go and ask people to problematic behavior or weaknesses. That's asking a lot of some people, but I believe it's absolutely necessary. And if you can't do it on your own, then, then having people around you uh, to be able to um, talk to you and look at you in a, in a supportive way and say, this is where we're at, this is where you're at, and this is where we need to change. And that's, that's what those gatherings that you keep mentioning were all, all about. I mean, they were about political strategy, but they were also about building a network of support for people um, to work their own way through their own colonization and be able to, to strengthen themselves as leaders. Uh, it was called the Indigenous Leadership Forum, and mm-hmm. there was there was a reason for that, is that it was trying to create this circle of accountability and this circle of support for people to move through all of these challenges. And so for me, thinking about it, um, I'm sure you're the same way too, thinking about like where we've come from, if you personalize that, if I look at where I've come from in my life, um, from the kind of community I was raised in, the kind of values I was given, the kind of language I spoke, the kind of ideas I had about all kinds of issues, uh, politics, gender, um, relationships, uh, physicality, physical health, all these things. Um, those have evolved over time in relation to this constant effort to relate myself to my ancestors um, and to find a truer way of being a Mohawk. And so this process in my mind, never stops because the colonization is very deep in our communities and it's constantly throwing new things at us. So we, we need these kind of relationships and these circles uh, in order to continue to evolve as leaders and to be truer uh, as, as leaders um, to the vision of our ancestors and not come to reflect on uh, negative. And, and by negative, I mean harmful to our cause of indigenous nationhood and um, all of the values of uh, peace, power, and righteousness that we have embedded in our culture. If we're, if, we're gonna, if we're gonna become people who are able to recognize the things that we do and say that impact that negatively and change and, and evolve to a higher standard of leadership, then I think that we need those circles and we need the active process and um it's it's a difficult thing it's a challenging thing it's a painful thing uh in a lot of ways but it's absolutely necessary and i think that i i, I hit on that mm-hmm. in that book with Sazi, but the actual live the actual living is a very daunting thing and you have to be very committed to the struggle to stay at it it's easy to run away and it's easy to to take solace in the comfort of the bourgeois existence and the, <laughs> and the, the and bougie the, native the, existence. Yeah. Yeah. Like the easy outs that are afforded yeah. uh, people, you know, especially if you're privileged, if you happen to be mm-hmm. uh, uh, a highly educated 
person, you have the privilege of escaping to those circles mm-hmm. um, and not being held to account uh, by community members for your for your disconnection. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're a male, you have the privilege of escaping to a male patriarchal circles and not have to be held to account by women uh, and so on and so on. And so there's a lot of ways for every one of us to escape and to be committed to to the struggle and staying in it and continuing to learn from from the struggle is something that a warrior does and doesn't run away from from the challenge and and really to me uh it's one of the essential aspects of what it is to be a warrior especially today when our culture is so confused and our people are so affected all of us by by colonial behaviors and ideas and that like to me that was also as an individual really impactful because sometimes um there's certain parts of you know warrior living that's easier than others you can speak out about issues you can advocate on issues you can help your community but then when you have to turn inward and say oh wait am, am i living a warrior life or h- how's my nutrition am i just living on sugar and processed foods and all of the things that are going to make me live a shorter life an unhealthier life uh a life that i won't have the strength to keep up the fight in the future and what about my physicality am i keeping up am i treating my body the way a warrior should treat their body so that we'll live 120 years, so that we'll be strong warriors, so that we can keep up the fight and that we have this huge collective? Or uh, am I contributing myself to colonization of myself and making myself, um, you know, weaker and weaker and weaker, whether it's, you know, health or spirituality or or relationships even? And I, and I, and I like how the way you think about warriorhood is in a holistic way, holistic in the sense of individual and collective, holistic in the sense of, you know, those that perceive themselves to be inside and outside the circle. And, you know, no matter where we are on Turtle Island, I think we have to to really think about warriorhood that way and and um, push out all of those whole horrible colonial ideas that the government would say, oh, here's what a good native is versus the so-called bad natives and uh there you've really shared a lot with us today i mean it's i could literally talk to you for 24 hours straight and still not be able to get everything out of your head but i really really wanted to share with my listeners some of the you know really strong wisdom and knowledge that you have imparted in different forms whether it's your books or public lectures or that warrior school, um, because because it's important. I mean, you're sharing what you've learned, and you 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 know you're sharing how you think about being accountable to our ancestors. And I think that is the support group. And sometimes we can't all be together. Not everyone has the privilege to be able to you know meet you in Ganawage and and talk with your community and say, okay, what are we doing? So we have to kind of use this social media platform as another kind of gathering place to to bring all of our warriors together and kind of weed out and decolonize all of these, you know, oppressive thoughts and oppressive ideologies and, and, you know, 
challenges that the governments and and media and corporations and society as a whole really put on us. This isn't really just a government issue. It's really a whole of society issue. And, you know, with the rise of white nationalism and lots of other hate groups, I think it's even more important on us to bring our circle together and bring all our warriors together and show show these youth we have a path forward and it'll be a much healthier, stronger path. We just have to commit to it no matter how hard it is. And so I want to thank you so much for all of your work, Ty, for inspiring so many people, for learning over time and evolving and adapting. And, you know, our views change over time and our practices change over time. And I, I appreciate the humbleness in that, that you you can acknowledge that, you know, we're not in the same place we were 20 years ago. We Our minds change, our practices change, and that's part of it. That's decolonization, how we improve ourselves over time. So I really appreciate that. And I hope I can have you back because I have a thousand other questions that I want to ask you. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe we can just get more and more detailed into this, you know, this revitalization of the circle and rebuilding the fire. Uh, No, I'll go, my friend. You're you're a true warrior and it's been an honor and uh, I'll come back anytime. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, thanks, Ty. See you soon. Thank you all for tuning into my show. I really hope you enjoyed listening to Tyagi Alfred. He has so many great ideas about how to bring all of our people back into the circle so that we have more warriors to defend our land and our governments and, and our identity for future generations. What I'll do is I'll post the link to his website in my description box so you can check out some of his video lectures that he has on there. And I'll also post links to uh, his books because they were great reads for me and hopefully he'll continue writing books. If you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode. And make sure to leave me your show ideas in the comments section. I'd love to know, do you want to hear more interviews? Do you want to hear more commentary? Are there certain subjects that you want to talk about? I want to help bring you what you want to hear. I'm currently hosted on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, but you can also follow me all outside of this platform on Instagram as Pam underscore Palmeter as I talk about warrior living, and you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube where I tackle the difficult political and legal issues facing our uh, native warriors. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag. Well,